Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, and a gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. I created this podcast to help you learn to express your desires, learn more about desires, spice up your relationships, and create those sizzling relationships that you have always wanted. I do this through solid science, real-life stories, and conversations with an exciting array of experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies that will help you choose the relationship style that works best for you and create exactly what you want and need. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and you can take advantage of the subscriber bonuses. And if you want to know more, head over to DrLaurieBethBisbee.com and sign up for my email list so that you can find out exactly what is going on in my world from week to week. But for now, come join me and enter my world of sex and relationships. See you inside. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist an advanced accredited gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist, a sex and intimacy coach, an author, and a presenter. And I've spent the last 30 plus years working with people to help them create their amazing relationships containing sizzling sex and without the shame. We are working our way through the alphabet one letter at a time. Today, the letter is X and X is for explanations. This episode is a Q&A being brought to you while I am on location filming the second season of Open House, The Great Sex Experiment, which airs on Channel 4. Um, so I have asked cast, crew, production to please give me their questions anonymously to answer. And I'm going to be doing two episodes dealing with all of their questions. So here we go. Here's the first one. Pardon. The question is, I'm worried about how I look when being intimate with a partner and cannot relax. It's so severe that I've never had an orgasm with a partner, even though I'm able to have an orgasm in self-pleasure. How do I relax? Well, this is a really relatable question. Loads of people worry about how they look when they're having sex. And some worry to the point where it absolutely hinders them from having an orgasm. Others, it doesn't impact to that level, but it makes it hard for them to be having the best sex that they can have. So how do you deal with this? This is deal with the cause and then the symptoms will go away. So in this case, the symptom is actually not being able to have an orgasm. The cause is around your own insecurities. So the best thing to do is to actually do the personal work you need to be able to become comfortable with yourself to the point where you no longer care how you look when you're having sex. 
And oftentimes that means doing some therapy, figuring out where the insecurities come from. Sometimes it means you might choose to change certain things about yourself in order to feel happier with yourself. Other times it won't. But the answer really is to do your personal work. I know people hate to hear that, but there aren't any tricks to relax if you are so uncomfortable that all you can think about. Um, the only tip that I can give you is to get as out of your head as you can, which means to keep refocusing your attention on something else. In this case, the best thing to refocus your attention on is your partner. So if you can get so involved with your partner and concentrate so hard on bringing your partner pleasure, then you might be shocked to find you have pleasure too because you didn't remember to worry about what you looked like. Pardon me. I hope that answer helped. <laughs> All right. Next question. <clears throat> ah, I cannot cope with someone moving in the bed beside me or making noise. So I can't have somebody stay the night. What can I do? It is so intense. I want to kill them. So let's talk a little bit about misophonia. Misophonia is something that, that happens when a person finds certain regular noises and sometimes movements enraging. So it's one thing to be annoyed that your partner is keeping you awake, but it's another thing to feel so angry you just want to kill them. If you're feeling so angry you might want to kill them, you might have misophonia. Misophonia is a neurological problem, and so there are treatments that can help. Uh, some of them are distraction treatments, but there are other things that can be done. And where you want to go is you want to go to somebody who specializes in misophonia. There are some neuropsychologists who do, um, and there are some neurologists who do. And sometimes you can find a misophonia specialist via your local audiology department. Okay, next question. How do you separate sex from feelings? Um, and the person said what they wanted was to not make every sex act a love affair. And this is, is a hard one. We all have feelings when we have sex. The question is how much meaning we assign to sex. For some people, sexual contact and sexual activity is something that they only do when they have deep feelings with others. For some people, being that physically intimate does inspire deep feelings. The question is what you do with them. I don't think you divorce sex from feelings. I think it's how you decide to deal with the feelings that arise. If you're wanting to have casual sex, but you fall in love with every person you have sex with, you have to look at why you imbue sex with so much meaning each time. And you have to accept your feelings, but not then act on them, not then pursue a romantic relationship. But really what I would say to you is, why do you want to divorce sex from feelings? And why is it so important to you to have casual sex? For some people, sex is so deeply emotionally intimate that they only want to have it with somebody they really care about. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So I'm questioning why you want to divorce the sex from feelings and why you want to have the casual sex. And I think you need to examine that as well as the whole, what is the meaning of sex before you make a decision as to whether you want to try and separate that because it'll be a lot of effort 
and have casual sex, or actually you want to own that for you, sex isn't casual and just wait and pursue relationships that have meaning to you. Hope that helps. What do I do when I have low sex drive and my partner has very high sex drive? Okay, this is a really difficult question. And I've already done a couple of podcasts about a mismatch in desire. And the most recent one was um, with Cindy Darnell, and it it is one to listen to. So what I'm going to ask you to do is go look for the one on desire, mismatch desire with Cindy Darnell, and listen to that because she's just written an amazing book about sex and about dealing with mismatched desire or dealing with lack of desire. And she has so much information um, and so many exercises in the book that actually um, will give you a lot more than I'm going to give you in this short answer. So I hope you'll go listen to that podcast and um, and also consider picking up her book. It's uh, C-Y-N-D-I, uh, Darnell, D-A-R-N-E-L-L. And um, let me... It's possible that I've actually just spelled her name wrong. So let me just check it. Remembering people's names is hard enough. Spelling them is not actually something that I'm necessarily that good at, good with. Oh, sorry. Yes, it's, it is C-Y-N-D-I-D-A-R-N-E-L-L. Okay. Next question. How do you initiate sex when you aren't comfortable? Um, and actually, this question came from a discussion about people who initiate sex in a very sort of forceful manner. And are there nicer ways to initiate sex that means your partner might be more um, accepting and, and more willing to have sex with you? Um initiating sex should be a seduction of some type. It could be a short seduction. It could be a long seduction. It can be short and sharp and rough if that's what you agree to, if you consent with each other, but it can also be a long seduction. We like anticipation as humans, so build anticipation. Um, initiate sex by giving somebody a massage. Initiate, but letting them know that you want to have sex. Don't offer somebody a massage and not tell them that you want to have sex that evening because that's kind of a bait and switch. But tell them that you you definitely want to have a sexual experience with them, but start with a massage. Initiate it by sexting. Initiate it by reading erotica out loud or watching a movie. Make a date. Do something that you find loads of fun or relaxing. Go to a sex show. Go to a party. Get creative. Remember what it was like when you were trying to get this person to have sex with you in the first place. Right. I've also been asked about pegging for beginners. I am not going to answer that question right now. Um, I will do an entire episode on that, and I'm going to get a couple of other people to join me. So stay tuned. One of those will come up in the not too distant future. Um, I don't want um, to rush through it because there's lots to think about. But let me define pegging for those of you who don't know what pegging is. Pegging is when 
usually somebody who um, identifies as female uses um, a dildo or a strap-on in order to anally penetrate somebody who identifies as male. That's what pegging is. So look out for that episode. It will be upcoming. Um, how do you deal with rejection was another question. The biggest tip I can give people to deal with rejection is to understand that rejection isn't personal. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean you are not attractive. It just means that this person does not feel like having sexual interaction with you. Sometimes at this time, sometimes ever. Some of the reasons people might choose to reject. One is they don't fancy you. That doesn't mean you're not attractive. It means you're, they're not fancying you. And that can be disappointing if you're attracted to them, but it shouldn't get you worrying about yourself or feeling really awful. Just like not everybody fancies everybody else. But also people reject people because they're tired. They reject people because um, they have other relationships with them. For example, my ethical code says that I cannot have sex with somebody who is in therapy with me. No matter who that person was, I would always say, I'm sorry, no. Um, sometimes if, some, if, if you're the boss of somebody and they make a pass at you, you might think they're really hot and really fancy them, but ethics say that you shouldn't have sex with them, so you'll reject them. Uh, you may feel ill. You may have your period. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons people reject people. And you don't owe the person you're rejecting a reason. And sometimes it's better not to give someone a reason. No, thank you. I'm, I'm flattered by your interests, but no, thank you. Is a hell of a lot better than a 20-minute dissertation on all the things you don't find attractive about someone that you're trying to say nicely because you, you, you don't want to make them feel bad. If you're the person rejected, you deal with it by reminding yourself this isn't personal. Say thank you to the person and move on. Go get involved in something else. If you find it sticking and you're really feeling bad, have a look at those insecurities. Have a look at where the negative feelings are being triggered from because most likely it's not simply the one rejection. Okay. I've been asked about best new toys. I'm also going to put that aside because uh, I have, look at all these questions. So I'm going to put that aside for another podcast as well. Don't worry, I won't forget about it. I'm reaching into the bowl. I'm shaking them around. I'm reaching into the bowl for the next question. All righty. Let's have a look. As a heterosexual male, if I watch gay porn, does that make me gay or bisexual? Fantastic question. Whoever sent this to me, I am so glad you did. Your sexuality is not at all defined by the pornography you watch and the fantasies you have. Period. There are tons of women and particularly tons of lesbian women. So these are women who, in general would not want to see a penis in front of their face who adore watching gay porn and think it's really hot. We can get turned on by all sorts of things we don't actually want to do. And so that's the first part. The second part is that there's a difference between your attractions 
your behavior, and your identity. Heterosexuality is probably an identity, which it, it is a statement of your attraction. Heterosexuality means I am attracted to people of the opposite gender from me. However, as an identity, there's all sorts of conventions that go with it, ideas that go with it, beliefs that go with it, and a community that we're part of when we claim that as an identity. The same is true for bisexuality and for homosexuality. So even if you are a man who does enjoy occasionally having sex with other men, that does not require you to claim membership in the bisexual community. I like to encourage people to stand back from labels for a while and just look at where their attractions are and allow themselves to be who they are. This isn't an on-off switch. Bisexual people can be 1% attracted to and having sex with people of their own gender and or having sex with people of their own gender to 99% attracted to and or having sex with people of their own gender. It's up to you to define your sexuality. There are a ton of men who are heterosexual who really enjoy gay porn. That does not make them gay and it does not make them bisexual. And it does not even mean that they actually want to have sex with another man. It just means that what they're seeing is hot. Thanks for that question. It's a brilliant question. Okay. Let's find another one. These are rolled, are folded up so tightly. Oh, okay. Here's another good one. Is there a way to train myself to, to be able to ejaculate multiple times? Okay. I'm sure there are ways. I'm sure um, that there are um, specialized systems that allow you to train yourself. I don't know what they are. I do know that what is very popular is to train yourself to experience an orgasm without ejaculation, because that you can do multiple times before you actually ejaculate. Um, there are a number of um, spiritual systems that think that um, not ejaculating is um, somehow raises your spiritual tone or improves your health. The evidence on that, well, we can't really comment on whether it raises your spiritual tone because there's no objective judge of that. But certainly the evidence on the health thing is that, no, it does not um, improve your health. And in fact, if you if you do it for too long, it'll actually harm your health. Um, but there's nothing wrong with doing it for a while. And these systems are very good at teaching you uh, how to have an orgasm without ejaculating. Um, one of the biggest proponents is called Mantak Chia. So you can look at his stuff. Um, but I have not yet come across a system that will train you to ejaculate multiple times, though there must be one out there. If you do find it when you're searching, please let me know, because I'd like to talk to the people who are teaching it and find out exactly what it is that they're teaching. These questions are brilliant, guys. Uh, let's see. Fantastic. How do you build body confidence? There were a number of different ways. 
I advise people to start out by looking at themselves and taking the positive feedback that they've had from others and really thinking about that, using that as affirmations, doing them as affirmations with as many senses as possible to really have those compliments sink in. You can build body confidence by going to environments in which people compliment you and accepting what they say, feeling their interest, feeling their attraction. Sometimes you need to do some therapeutic work to figure out where your negative self-image has come from and to get rid of that, to unpick that. Um, if it's come from society, you know, we're com we have to actively combat that. Um, for uh, people presenting as women, there's a very narrow um, view of beauty and possible beauty standards that continue to be put forward. And that's literally actively combating that with yourself, actively overriding that, dressing in ways that you enjoy, emphasizing the body parts that you like, and working on loving the ones you don't. Um, for example, Tummy Tuesdays, so many people hate their stomachs. Tummy Tuesdays invites everybody to show a picture of their tummy and to love on their tummy, to say to themselves, this is my tummy. It's it's okay the way it is. It's wonderful. Some people say, you know, they've had a child and that's how they look this way and really emphasize the positives. But it is practice. It's practice. Follow some of the people who um, are body positivity folks, and they also will do exercises and games and, and uh, challenges, but it's really retraining yourself. Now, having said all of that, you might actually have no body confidence and fit into the impossible beauty standards. Again, then it's figuring out why are you not seeing in the mirror what other people see? That's usually a therapy thing. If it's really severe, it might be body dysmorphia, which is when you really, you actually physically don't see what's in the mirror. You're seeing something different, a different size, a different shape, something horrible when it actually it's perfectly fine. That's an actual disorder and that requires treatment. So sometimes it's worth getting assessed to find out if you've got an actual disorder where you would, you would need some professional help or whether this is something you can do via self-help. Uh, but most of us would benefit from some help working on our body image. Confidence comes from within first. So it how you talk to yourself, what you tell yourself. So you should dress in the ways that really make you feel good. Put yourselves in the positions that really make you feel good. Refrain from uh, retouching photos and things. Because that's a that's a myth. If you're retouching photos, but when you look in the mirror, you don't see what you're seeing when you retouch the photos, that's not helpful. But it is a lot about really coming to terms with what you have and loving yourself just as you are. So that can be. Um, just change them. And if you cannot, um, for medical reasons, for example, then you've got to work extra hard to love the skin you're in.
I hope that helps. Let's see. Got another one? Mm -hmm. Me and my girlfriend don't have sex like we used to. How do we restore intimacy? Again, a great question. This is something that happens to any couple that's together for any period of time. Um, at some point, you'll go through a period where you're not having as much sex or, you're not, or your sex doesn't feel as exciting or both. Restoring intimacy depends on why you've stopped having sex. For many people, it's because um, in addition to tiredness and a busy life and all of those things, there are unresolved issues between you. There was an argument that never got sorted out. You've been storing up ups upsets. You've been storing up anger. You've been afraid to admit your real feelings. And until you do that, you're really not going to restore your sex life. Your intimacy is not going to improve. Because the unresolved emotions are literally sitting in between you. So if that's what's going on, that's where you need to start. If it is a matter simply of schedules and children and tiredness and all of this, you have to remember that when you first got together, you'd move heaven and earth to have sex with each other because you were new to each other and you were exciting to each other and there was a mystery to unfold. So you have to try to recreate some mystery, something to unfold. Sometimes that just is a matter of building anticipation. Again, sext, excuse me, plan a date, follow through and sex with each other, tell each other stories about what you'd like to do with each other, write each other letters, read from erotic books to each other, listen to erotic audio, watch erotic films, play sex games and erotic games. And there are lots of couple games out there that you can play, card games and board games that encourage asking questions and discussing. Discuss what your desires are. If there are things that you've never told your partner that you desire, tell them. If there are things you've always wanted to experiment with, but you guys have never had the courage, consider experimenting with everything but opening your relationship because you don't want to add new partners when you are not having good sex with each other. You want to make sure that you're enjoying sex with each other first. And then look at the possibility of adding new partners if that's how you want to spice things up, as it were. Um, and the reason for that is because we tend to get upset if the person we're in love with is having fantastic sex with someone else and not with us. If they're having fantastic sex with us and someone else, that's much easier to deal with. So these are all the ways you start building back the intimacy. It may sound counterintuitive, but don't rely on being spontaneous. Do schedule time that is actually for physical intimacy. Uh, one of the things that I tend to do with people is tell them that intercourse is off the table. So when couples are coming to me, and this is one of the areas at issue, I'm saying like, okay, there will be no fucking for the next month. You can do anything else. Sometimes I'll say, okay, for the next week, the only thing you can do is kiss. 
if you get so hot, you have to do something, then you can pleasure yourself. You can masturbate and you can do it in front of each other. But the only way you can touch each other sexually is kissing. Doing things like that really builds sexual energy and can add excitement back. They may seem simple. They may seem a bit contrived, but they work. I hope that helps for a bunch of suggestions to get started. Next question. Pardon the snort. All right. My boyfriend feels insecure about a guy joining us. How can we work through this? Well, another great question. It depends on why he feels insecure. People feel insecure about adding another person for a couple of reasons. The first set of reasons is they're insecure about themselves. They're afraid that they won't measure up. They're afraid that the other person will be more attractive than they are, better at sex than they are, that their partner will like them better. All of these things that they will compare negatively when looked at next to this other person. So that's personal insecurity. The second is that while they may feel personally secure, they feel their relationship isn't secure. So they're afraid they'll lose their place in the relationship because they don't feel the relationship is stable. So fixing this means figuring out which it is and finding out exactly what it is. Is your boyfriend insecure because he thinks that um, the other guy might have a bigger penis and that? that you would want the bigger penis and therefore not want him? Is he insecure because he thinks the other person's better looking overall or, you know, funnier or more intelligent or has a better job or more money, any of these things? Um, So you need to work on making sure your relationship is good and solid and that your partner knows that you're not looking for someone to replace them. Monogamy is you get one, you only get one. Non-monogamy, you can have many. But when people make the transition from monogamy to non-monogamy, they often have a monogamy hangover, which means that they still have thinking as though they were monogamous. So they worry because if their partner likes the other person, that means that they're going to have to choose. So reminding him that you're not choosing, that you're not pitting them against each other, that you're not looking to see who's better because you can have both. Talking with your partner sensitively about this, getting them to express exactly the things that are making him insecure. Now, having said all of this, some people are monogamous. They don't want to be in an open relationship, it doesn't suit them. It isn't what they need and it doesn't fulfill their desires. If that's the case, if your partner just does not want to be non-monogamous, then you have to look at how badly you want that. It is possible to have a relationship as a non-monogamous person with a monogamous person, but that takes a lot of work and a lot of negotiation. Um, and usually some pre- professional help getting it set up so that it'll it will work well. So you need to consider that carefully. 
remember that we have to have consent no matter what we do and that anybody can withdraw consent at any time for any reason and they don't owe you an explanation. So by all means, do the things I've said to try and work through this. Identify what the insecurities are. Work on the insecurities. He will have to do that himself. You can reassure him, but ultimately he has to work on his own personal insecurities himself. But recognize that if he's monogamous, he may still not be willing to do this. Okay, let's have another question. Okay, my partner is kinky. I'm vanilla. How do we meet in the middle? Great question. Most people are not one thing or the other, right? Most of this is on a spectrum. So start out by exploring desire together. Some of the most fun ways to explore what might turn you on and I've mentioned some of them already, but you want to do this in a systematic way. You can explore erotica. There are tons of short stories and books um, written about all sorts of fantasies and all sorts of erotica. Explore your fantasies together, but observe your own reactions. What turns you on? What actually turns you on mentally, but where do you get physical responses when exploring? If you want to make it really sexy, pick things to give to each other to read or read things out loud to each other. But make this a fun activity, a sexual and sensual activity in its own right, and start exploring books, audio, movies, if you're going to explore movies, don't go for pornography right straight ahead. Part of the reason for that is that pornography, excuse me, as we know, is 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 entertainment, so it's staged, of course. But pornography tends to focus on the really, really graphic. So you actually don't get a, a good enough sense of the other of the actual kinky activities or vanilla activities. There are loads of movies that aren't pornography, but are hot as hell. I have an ebook called, um, now it's, I think, 103 movies. We started out with 74 movies, but we're up to 103 movies. 103 movies that are not X-rated, um, which has links to all sorts of different interesting movies that actually have plots and stories, but are hot as hell, that demonstrate all sorts of different kinds of um, sexuality, sensuality, and kinks. Um, it, that's something that you would like from me if you send me email and, and are willing, in exchange for being on my mailing list, I'm really happy to send that to you. So you can send me an email at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com and tell me you want 101 movies or 103 movies. I'll know what you mean. Um, that's a great way to start looking at what the middle ground might look like. And then when you find things that you can both agree might be fun to do together, you can alternate between vanilla and fudge ripple 
anyone who doesn't know what fudge ripple ice cream is because uh, they didn't grow up in America like I did. And I actually have never seen fudge ripple in the United Kingdom. Um, fudge ripple is vanilla ice cream with literally um, ribbons of fudge throughout. So it's got a little bit a little bit of something or Rocky Road, as you know, chocolate ice cream with lots of different little bits in. So you can do a little bit of fudge ripple alternating between vanilla and something slightly kinky that you've discovered together that you both might like to enjoy. Hope that one helps. Right. So I'm going to do uh, a few more of these for this episode. Um, and then I'm going to record another episode. So you're going to get two of these back to back. Um, and that will hopefully get through all of these wonderful questions. Oh, wow. This is a, another good question. It's quite a deep question. How do I know what is a red flag and what is me projecting my insecurities and my trauma? Okay. Red flags are traditionally things that tell us to stop and observe. They don't necessarily, they don't necessarily, well, they do actually often say mean stop, desist. But when people talk about red flags in relationships, it's it it's really looking at what are yellow flags and what are red flags. Yellow flags mean you need to spend, you need to take note and you need to think through whatever it was that happened, whatever it was that you saw in order to make a decision if it's healthy or unhealthy for you. So one of the things is, is that um, what might be healthy for me might not be healthy for you. Excuse me, that all of us have different levels of things that are healthy, different situations that are healthy. There are some, oh, pardon me, hiccup. There are some really standard red flags. Anybody who commits physical violence on their partner that wasn't consented to. So outside of a play space where there is consent, and that I don't consider physical violence, right? Anybody who raises a hand to you in anger, anytime you see that, that is a red flag. There is no, you can't possibly be projecting. If you're having an argument with a partner and your partner goes to hit you, whether you have a trauma history or not, it's a red flag. Anybody who attempts to completely separate you from the people who love you, who tells you not to talk about things with people, who tries to completely restrict your communication, that's a red flag. It doesn't matter what your trauma is or if you had no trauma. Healthy relationships, people don't try and control each other's communication. In healthy relationships, people don't try to control each other. People who enjoy playing with power and control come to agreements about handing authority to each other different scenario. It helps to know what your triggers are. But what I will say is if you have a history of trauma, the best thing I can advise you to do is to go have some superb trauma therapy because 
trauma can be resolved so that triggers don't exist anymore. When trauma is resolved, you no longer regret what's happened, worry about what's happened, feel like you're in the middle of what's happened, get triggered into those feelings. It is in the past. And of course, one doesn't forget big parts of one's life and why would you want to, but you're not emotionally impacted by it anymore. There is amazing therapy available for trauma. And so that is where I would start. If you're concerned that if you talk about it, you're going to feel worse, what I'll say to you is, yes, you will for a while. But with the right therapy, that will be within the session. And when you leave the session, you'll be feeling level. Um, And as a rule, trauma therapy, we're not talking about 10 years of therapy. Please consider that people who tell you that you can only ever manage your trauma probably don't have the right therapeutic techniques to hand to help you resolve it. If you're interested in knowing more about the trauma work that I do, please do email me. This is one of my areas of expertise. Um, If you're interested in knowing more about personal recovery from really intense trauma. Um, I had severe PTSD and I had therapy of the type that I do with other people for trauma or one of them. I do a number of therapies for trauma and that's how I got rid of my PTSD. So I, I, my story is in my erotic memoir, Dancing the Edge to Surrender. Um, I've talked about it on a number of podcasts. I don't mind talking about it. So I can talk about this as a professional and about the people I've worked with. And I can also talk about this as somebody who has survived and now thrives. Um, And um, my trauma doesn't get triggered anymore. And I think that that is step one alongside learning in the meantime, while you're dealing with it, what your triggers are. So you can take a step back and go, okay, have I just been triggered? One of the biggest clues to knowing that you've been triggered is your response is bigger than it should be. If you don't trust anyone, um, so I'll, sometimes people say, well, I don't trust men because my, you know, because all men lie, or I don't trust men because my experience with men is so bad. Well, right there, I know you're doing some projecting because they're all a group, right? And there's no room for individuals being different. So it's personal work first. And that will make it easier. Having said that, violence outside of BDSM that's been agreed on and is in the BDSM play space is always a red flag. If you see somebody treat other people horribly when they're with you, that should be a red flag. That's usually not projection. If you see somebody demean people regularly, that should be a red flag. I hope that helps. I know that that's a complex question and not as easy to answer as some of the ones that have come up. Let's see. 
I enjoy watching my partner have sex with other people. Is that strange? Fantastic question. In a word, no. <laughs> no, it is actually a remarkably common kink. Lots of people enjoy watching their partners have sex with other people for a wide variety of reasons. Um, some people are simply voyeurs. And so the person that they find the most attractive in the world, their partner, can put on the best sex show as far as they're concerned. Other people enjoy it for um, reasons of, um, for reasons having to do with feeling a little bit forbidden, having it feel taboo. Some people enjoy it because they enjoy being not allowed to touch. So there are a whole host of reasons that people like doing this. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not strange. It's actually quite a common kink. All righty. How do I tell my friends and family about my non-monogamy? Great question, too. Um, you're going to tell friends and family differently, right? My first question is, let's talk about family first. My first question is, why do you want to tell them? That may seem like a strange question for somebody from somebody who is out, right? But think about this. If the if you're non-monogamous and um, polyamorous, meaning that having multiple romantic relationships or deep emotional relationships with people, you might want to be telling your your family about your poly uh, your polyamory or your non-monogamy because you don't want to be restricted from who do you bring to events. You don't want your family to look upon a person that you absolutely love and adore as somebody who's less significant. Understand that. You might want to tell them because you feel that you want to be able to display your full identity. In that case, you need to start by looking at what might they be upset by and think about how you craft what you're going to say in ways that take into account their sensibilities. For example, sometimes friends and family will be upset simply because this is seen as um, out of the norm. You're a grown up, then you can tell them, I enjoy. And phrase it in nice ways. And I always start with what kind of language do they use to talk about sex and relationships? If friends and family never use the word fuck, don't use the word fuck as you're talking about it. But start out by saying, I'd like to talk with you about something. I want to talk with you about the way I live my life because I run my relationships differently than societal norms, or because I run my relationships differently than you brought me up. I understand that this may seem odd or strange to you, but it's important to me to be able to be open and honest with you. Limit your explanations. 
as soon as you sound defensive, you're now in for a big argument. You want to be able to say, this is who I am. If, if you are only sexually non-monogamous, then you have the added benefit of being able to tell at least family, my sex life is none of your business in the nicest possible way. When you're romantically non-monogamous, it can be a little bit harder because you're wanting them to recognize your partners. But when you're sexually non-monogamous, you can actually say, this is how I am. It's I'm an adult. It's consensual. None of your business. Now, if you're sexually non-monogamous um, and you're not out in public, i.e. you're not in the media, you're not having newspaper or magazine articles written about you, you're not talking about it on podcasts, you're not on a television show, all of these things. So there's no easy way for people to find out. There's, I would question why you're telling them. Right? If you like having threesomes, if you like going to sex parties and sex clubs, and nobody that you know is likely to ever see you there, why would you tell your mother that this is what you like to do? Always think about what is your motivation in disclosing sensitive material to friends and family that might be difficult for them to digest and therefore might have a negative impact on your relationship with them. If it's about having people accept you as a whole human being as you are, then it can feel pretty important to talk to them. But then what I would suggest is, is that you prepare yourself for the possibilities that may come out of telling them. I would tell people in private, not in public. I would make sure that it was a good time to talk and that they had the time and attention to give you before you talk to them. Sometimes people choose not to tell friends and family that they're sexually non-monogamous and then they're out at a club one day and they run into somebody who knows somebody and they think that their parents are going to get told or their you know, brothers and sisters are going to get told and they're terribly worried about that. If that's something that happens to you and you feel you want to disclose it first, again, step back from your panic before you do it and think about what is it you want to say? What do you want them to understand? And why is that important to you? Lots of people know nothing about their parents' sex lives and don't want to know. It's not our business. For all you know, your parents could be non-monogamous or kinky, and you might never know because it's none of your business. So step one, why do I want to tell them this? And that might be different for friends and for family. Step two, I've decided I do want to tell them this. What information do I need to give them so that they can hear me? What explanations are going to be helpful and what are not? And how much do they really need to know? Tell people, when you're telling people things that are likely to be very upsetting to them or might be quite upsetting to them, but actually they don't need to know in order to live their happy life and in order to have a relationship with you, tell them as little as you can. If I was living with three people that were all partners of mine, which will never happen, but if I were, it would be pretty important to tell my mother about that because when she came to visit me, she would see that. 
But if she's never likely to meet another one of my partners, then I might not need to tell her. In my own case, I told my fam family, my parents, about my non-monogamy when my son was staying with them and he was, um, I think he was, he was seven at the time. And he was going to go from staying with them for a holiday, come across the country to stay with me and with my partner, my other partner. And I was still married to his father. I knew my son was talking about my other partner because he really liked him. And I didn't want my parents to either question him closely about who the hell was this other man or to um, say nasty things about it and tell him, you know, this isn't an important person and you shouldn't be attached to this person or something. So I felt it pretty important that they understand what was going on and what my son knew so they could keep up the same language. So that's why I told them. And um, they got very upset. Um, my father thought it would have been better for me to have an affair. Um, and it took lots of talking before he realized what a ridiculous statement that was. And I said, oh, so you think it would be better for my son to see lying and cheating than it would be for him to know, honestly, that that you can love more than one person? Also, people often forget that children only need an answer to the question they ask you. So, you know, my parents were wondering how much information did he understand about sex? I said, no, he hasn't asked about sex. He's seven. All he wants to know is, is it okay if I love this person and is this person going to be around? So again, you, you, you know, in that situation, it was important to me because I wanted my son not to have, not to be confused. And not to feel upset. Otherwise, I probably never would have told them because they never were going to likely meet my partners. Like we were never, I was never going to be with everyone at the same time. In actual fact, when I when I finally married my husband, um, and, and my girlfriend was my maid of honor. Um, and my mom met her and adored her, and she never knew because it wasn't necessary to say, and this is my girlfriend. Much as I would have liked my mother to have seen all of me and accepted all of me. Um, and she knows about this and she still kind of doesn't pay as much attention to it. She has a better understanding now. But at that time, much as I would have wanted her to accept all of me, actually, that would be hard for her to do. And so I felt it unnecessary to push for that acceptance when I accept myself and I have acceptance all sorts of other places. I hope that helps. I thank all of you for listening. This has been a really great set of questions. Next week, we will have why. And why is for why which will give me the opportunity to ask answer more of your questions um if you enjoy this podcast please 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 leave a review people often don't like to leave reviews on podcasts that have to do with sex and relationships because they feel uncomfortable it's really important 
to leave a review so people know this is something that they will enjoy listening to and something they will get something out of. Because of that, I incentivize reviews. If you leave a review for this podcast, and even if you want to leave it anonymously, you can email and tell me which one your review is. Do it on Spotify or Apple or Stitcher. Tell me where it is, which one it is. I will enter your name into the monthly draw for a 30-minute free consultation with me, and that can be about anything. These days, I don't offer free consultations as I used to for potential new clients because I no longer have the time to do that. So to get a 30-minute consultation with me, at the very least, you're going to spend 75 pounds. So it is a a minimal 75-pound value, sometimes more because there's only a limited number of consultations at that level that you will get for free if I choose your name out of the hat that month because you've written a review. This goes for reviews for my podcast and reviews for any of my books. So please get reviewing and recommend to people that they also listen to this podcast. Have a wonderful week, stay safe, and have loads of fun. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave a review wherever it was you listened to it, but especially head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Reviews really help the show get out there. If you want to support my work, you can support it through my Patreon page. That's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Patreon.com. You can also head over to DrLoriBethBisbee.com and subscribe to my free mailing list, which will keep you updated as to the activities I am getting up to and any special appearances. For people who subscribe to the Patreon, there are special broadcasts, merch, um, and the opportunity to get discounted tickets to a lot of the events that I do. Knowledge gives you power. The more you know, the better your relationships, the better your satisfaction and joy. If you've got suggestions for the show, comments or questions, do email at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com. And I will try and incorporate them. Have a wonderful week filled with loads of joy.